0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello, this is Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome, my name is Bill. This message is the last in the Renovations of the Heart series. Has it challenged you so far? Has it made you think about the state of your heart? We've heard God is a jealous God. Pastor Jeff is about to explain why glorifying God and focusing on living life for Him. Will ultimately assure us of true renovation and restoration. If you've missed any messages so far, just search for today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here's Pastor Jeff with today's message.
1: really glad we're all together. We've been in the series called Renovation, and I hope by now uh, that you've done some serious introspection about who you truly are. I hope that's what's happened. This is the last sermon in the series, and we've got a lot of work to do, but I, I hope that you've been able to take a breath, settle down, and ask yourself some questions about where you are really headed in your life, and who you really are, and what drives you, and what you're passionate about. Every weekend that I come out, we play this bumper from Dallas Willard who wrote Renovation of the Heart. And he says that desire is not the same as will. And that's important. Just because you wanna be holy, just because you wanna be transformed on the inside out doesn't mean that you're gonna be, that's desire. Will is when you act according to what you say you want. So you know, if I wanna be a professional golfer, which there's no chance of that ever happening, then I would I would structure my life in such a way that that would become eventuality, right? If you want to be transformed from the inside out, yeah, Jesus is in you. The Spirit of God is in you, but you've got to enact the will for that to be able to happen. And down the road, if you're on that path, you're going to find yourself being transformed from the inside out. Now, I want to start. I've got two parts of this message, and i got to do it quickly. The first part, I've got to get you thinking, but it's a setup. I just want to tell you, it's not wrong to set somebody up if you tell them beforehand. So this whole thing is a setup to get you thinking. And then I want to go to the pragmatic side, because we're going to answer perhaps the most important question this weekend that we've asked in the series, which is this, how can I know that that transformation is actually happening in me? See, you're going to see some signs in your own life, not per- perfect or not perfection, but you're going to see some things, you're going to notice some things, and that should be, that's the deposit that the Bible talks about guaranteeing what is yet to come. And so, let's begin with a question, and you'll notice I didn't give you a passage of scripture because these are selected texts, you can write them down, according to scripture we're going to answer these questions, but here's the first one, did God create the world for his own praise and glory? Yeah. Okay. We have two Christians in uh, (laughs) Crusher's another. Did God create the world for his own praise and glory? Yes. Do you know this doesn't sit very well with people who reject the Christian God? Oprah Winfrey walked away from Christianity when she was 27 years old. The reason she gave is she says, God seems to me a jealous God and demands our highest allegiance and he's not willing to share glory with any other idol or ideology. That's a God, she says, I can't believe in. Brad Pitt was actually raised a Christ follower, but later on said, God says or claims that he's the best. Therefore, God is egotistical. He says that you have to follow only him, worship only him, glorify, magnify him, and I just can't follow a God like that. John Piper, who's a pastor, writes about Eric Reese, who's the author of a work called An American Gospel, and basically it's a work that denies the historical reality of the scriptures in its portrayal of the historical Jesus. He says, only an egomaniac would demand that we love him more than our children or parents or husband or wife. And he's referring, of course, to Luke 14, 26, where Jesus says, unless you love me more than your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your family, you cannot follow me or be my disciple. Ashley Taylor, a friend of mine in New Zealand, walked away from God because he felt that God is demanding and insecure like an unsure lover or jealous girlfriend. (laughs) And then Michael Prouse, who uh, was a columnist for years for the London Financial Times, he turned away from God because, in his words, he said, "Only tyrants, puffed up with pride, crave adulation." So, what's going on here? Does God really create everything for His glory and His magnification, and that we might look at Him and in awe? Is that how God is? Does He work in our lives and in the world so that we would say, "God is great"? Exodus 34, 14 says this, watch it carefully. You probably read it, but didn't notice it. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So how is it that God can be jealous and he gets away with it and you and I are told not to be? Well, there's a major difference as we've known in this series between us and God. What if God's jealousy is tied to your joy? Now stay with me. My daughter Sion, when we were living in New Zealand, suffered from separation anxiety. And it was largely due because her father was a creep. (coughs) This was a season in my life when I was working 80 hours a week, neglecting my children, neglecting my family. I told you in that season, I almost lost my wife. Thank God I came to my senses. (coughs) But during that time, my daughter, I was gone so much and my daughter never saw me and she loved me that she would develop anxiety when she found out I was going away on another trip. And so she would go in the driveway when she heard the car start and she would stand behind the car. That's not good when you're eight years old. And I told her, don't do that. And on one occasion, I was backing out. I was in a hurry. And uh, if I hadn't looked at the last second, call it the grace of God or whatever, Sian would not be here today. Now, I got out of the car and I put my hands around her shoulders and I was so angry. I've told you a thousand times, don't do that. But what's really going on inside me? I'm terrified. And then after I said... If you ever do that again, I will lock you in your room for life. And then of course, what's my next move? I love you so much. (laughs) My anger was tied to her safety. And in the same way that my anger is tied to her safety, therefore it is not sinful. God's jealousy is tied to our joy. The reason God wants you and I to magnify him. The reason he wants us to hold him in the highest regard. Well, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with your eternal pleasures at your right hand. God knows that the greatest joys and pleasures of our lives are all going to be found in him. So he tells you, magnify, glorify. The more you do that, the more you exalt me, the more you're going to realize that these other things that are a distraction will never give you what they think they'll give you. So his jealousy is for us, not him. He's jealous for us. He loves us so much. Look, folks, let's just be honest. Most of the things we do in our lives, we're trying to gain some kind of security or hope or significance. We do things to impress people. Every good thing man has ever done has been to impress a woman, mostly. We we, we want to be known. We want our name to be known. We want people to think that we're brave and courageous and that we're strong and that we're meaningful. The way we dress we dress so people will approve. We, we want to make enough money so these kind of people will approve and we want to live in this community so these people will approve. Our whole lives are the pursuit of things. And so God says, magnify me, glorify me, hold me up. And as you do that, it'll keep you from being distracted and sucked into these things that will lie to you that will never feel what they say they will fulfill. So here's the other side. We're still on the first part here. When we glorify God, Above all other things, we make our joy complete. Now what do I mean by that? Do we not praise and glorify the things we love without ever being told to? So we have the women's retreat this week down in San Diego. Byron Graham, my pastor from Australia, his wife came and did the retreat. They had a great time. Fantastic time. So, women, if you miss that, man, don't miss next year. And so I have the difficult task of babysitting Byron while Ann is doing the ministry. And so I took him golfing. It's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. So I took him golfing. We went over to Oak Quarry. And I'm on Spotify. And John Denver comes on. Now, I don't know if many of you even know who that is. But I'm ashamed to say that I like John Denver, even still. And so, he, so Rocky Mountain High, Colorado comes on. So I'm holding my, hey, Byron, because I knew Byron liked him too, because we liked the same, Byron, look, it's Rocky Mountain High, and that's not about drug stupefaction, that's just a, a good song. Rocky Mountain High, right here, look at this. And we start, yeah, yeah. There's a guy down at the country club. Every time I walk in there, his name is Juan. He's a Dodger fan. Usually when I walk in there, man, he's got the Dodger paraphernalia. He's saying, what do we, well, how did we lose last night? As if I know. He, just because I'm a pastor, I don't know why we lost. Uh, he, he wants me to pray for the Dodgers. He, 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 I'm serious about that. Would you bless the Dodgers every time I come in there? And I say, man, even God can't help them hit, man. They got to do that on their own. <laughs> the, the bottom line is... Bottom line is, he loves them because he loves them. That's all he talks about. He praises, he magnifies, he glorifies. He loves the Dodgers. When you see a good movie, what do you do? Come on. You see a great movie, your joy is not complete until you tell your friends how good it was and they go as well. Like my favorite movie, The Three Amigos, best movie ever made. <laughs> you know, when they're in that barroom scene and they do My Little Buttercup, you know, when they do that song. I, these young guys, I don't even know that. I had to play it for one of them last night. They'd never seen it. How could you be on this earth and never see that scene? If you love a movie, you talk about it. You love, you, you talk, you discuss. Uh, Kareem, my assistant right now, she she's looking for TV series for me to watch because she knows I'm so tired of television. It, just, it pushes things that I don't like and tries to glorify things that should never be glorified. She found this series called This Is Us and she says, Jeff, you need to watch This Is Us. So if you love something, you talk about it, and then there's always her little girl, too, Callie, who's a miracle of God. She prayed for and got it. And so she talks about look, what grandparent doesn't talk about the grandchildren. We talk about what we love: sports teams, favorite dessert, motorcycles, coin collections, whatever it is. Now listen to the words of C.S. Lewis. I had not noticed that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in the praising. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? Why? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So for 30 years I've told my wife how gorgeous she is. Now why do I keep doing that? Why can't I keep it to myself? The same reason I can't keep a hole in one to myself. The same reason the millennials take all these selfies. The same reason that my mother-in-law makes apple pie, but it's not enough to make it. She's got to have me eat it, and then I've got to say I enjoy it. <laughs> the delight in our lives is not complete until we've expressed it. My joy in something is not complete until I have expressed it. So God demands that we glorify him. Why? Why does God say glorify me, magnify me? Why do we do that? Well, okay, I wasn't going to do this, but look, I when I was younger, I dated a young girl. Her name was Sarah. And I dated her longer than any other girl I ever dated other than Robin, of course, because I married Robin. I've been married 30 years now. But I wondered why. I mean, I didn't like Sarah that much. But there was this song that was popular when I was dating her by Hall & Oates. <laughs> Won't you smile a while for me, Sarah? Remember that? <laughs> and so I noticed that I, I was singing that song. all. It's hard to think about another girl when you've got the other girl's name on your mind all the time, even though it was a song. The point is, her name was on my mind all the time. See, God tells you to glorify and magnify him because he wants his name on your mind all the time to keep you from being distracted by things or lesser loves. It's a cycle of constant joy and constant fulfillment. One of my favorite songs that we do, he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are. And how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves me. Now, the Bible says that when we sing, that when we sing about God, lift him up and praise him, then something happens in our intellect. We begin to realize, wow, he really is wonderful. And then we get even more happy. And then the more happy we get, the louder we sing. And then the louder we sing, the more we get it into our heads, how wonderful he really is. And it's a cycle of joy and praise and joy and praise. And when there's a praise drought in your life, there's going to be a renovation drought. So now we come to this final stage, and we said this all along, that you know the overarching truth of your life, and the the primary way in which you know that you're being transformed from the inside out is that your greatest satisfaction is in God and your relationship through Christ. He is the delight of your life. You talk about him more than anything else, not only, only, but more than anything else. You rejoice in his salvation, you trust in his decisions, and you can't wait to spend eternity with him. God is most glorified in us and we are most satisfied in him. So the question is, how do you get to that point? We said already, number one, you got to be born again. Sooner or later in your life, you've got to respond to his invitation. Repent, say you're sorry, verbalize your trust and plunge your past. When they asked Peter, what do we, What must we do to be right with God? He replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Until you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom and you cannot be born again until you humble yourself and bend your knee to Christ and say, I'm a sinner and I realize I have no hope outside of you. And when you do that, the spirit of God comes on the inside and it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And at that point... You start to engage the will in the disciplines associated with growth. You can't just desire that something happens. You've got to use the will in disciplines so that 20, 30 years from now, you begin to realize, man, I am changed. I've been transformed. Now, all that to say this, let me give you quickly the signs that transformation's happening. Okay? How do you know? Say, Pastor Jeff, I'm worried we're going to end this series and I don't know if Jesus is in me. I don't know if I'm on the right path. Okay, let me help you. If you're being changed and renovated, these things are happening. Number one, you see death differently. Do you remember Izzy? We talked about Ariana last, Adriana last weekend. Izzy was a, a man that my wife came in and she said, hey, you got to come out by the fountain. There's a guy you got to meet. And I am so glad I met him. You know, I can't be involved in everybody's life, but I try to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. So I'm always involved in somebody's life. And Izzy basically had drank himself to death. But he had become a Christ follower five or six years before his death. And he knew and realized that the damage internally had been done. We prayed for his healing. God did not grant us that healing. But I'm telling you, he was the happiest man dying that I've ever met. All Izzy talked about was how good God was to him. How good God is to him. I've never met anybody other than Adriana that was so looking forward to being with Jesus in his mind, to die was to gain. Now, I didn't mean that he wanted to die because he had kids. He didn't want to leave behind. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to say, I just can't wait. No, it, but it was the point. Why be afraid? Because I know who holds the keys to death and life. The apostle Paul said, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. The reason it's better is because those of you who love Jesus now have gotten so close to him that death now is not to be feared, but something you actually look forward to because you want to be with Jesus. The real issue in our lives is that many of us have never been born again. We have a deep intellectual knowledge of God. We have a healthy respect for God. We may know the scriptures back to front. We even respect his law. But we do not delight in him. And because we don't delight in him. Because we don't love him as he's meant to be loved, we still are afraid of dying. But when you truly know the one who holds the key, fear begins to subside. So you know that you're being renovated on the inside when your fear of death is dissipating. Now, we're always going to be somewhat afraid of the unknown, but your fear of death as you get older is supposed to dissipate. Number one, you see death differently. Number two, evangelism is becoming easier for you. That's right. Talking about Jesus to other people is becoming easier. In Matthew 13, Verse 44, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So at some point in your life when you're being renovated, you see Jesus as the treasure that he really is, and you've discovered him. And because you've discovered this treasure, your joy is not complete until you talk about him with others. In the same way you say, man, did you see that movie? Did you see the Dodgers last night? Did you see the Cubs? Did you see all of that? You're the kind of, do you know Jesus? Did you see what he can do in your life? Do you see what he's doing in my life? You're supposed to magnify him. So it's it's not something you have to think about. It's not something you have to coerce or manipulate yourself to do. It just flows naturally out of how much you love him. Nobody has to force me to talk about my wife. Nobody had to force me to talk about her when we were dating. I was so enamored with her, it just came out. My friends told me to shut up. (laughs) Some of your friends might tell you that. But we look at him as a treasure. The reason you and I don't talk about Jesus all the time is not because we're shy. I can list hundreds of things that you love to talk about to any stranger. Sports teams, the amount of money that you make, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the neighborhood, the vacations that you took with your family, your holidays, your grandkids, ice cream, coffee, clothing. These are all things that bring you joy and that's why you talk about them because you want your joy to be complete. When you fall in love with Jesus, no one will have to tell you to talk about him. You will talk about him all the time. One of our core values here is Jesus is our only hope and we are his plan to reach those far from God one life at a time. There's no plan B. Evangelism is not only persuasion about truth, but it's pointing people to a treasure that you value so much you can't help but to speak of the things that you've seen and heard. You know, This is a valuable lesson for a pastor to learn. I can't believe it took me 52 years to learn it. And that's this I cannot coerce or manipulate anybody to do anything. My job is to give you Jesus in hopes that one day you'll fall in love with him and all these things that I expect from you will naturally flow out of your love for Christ. Amen. Let me read it to you again. C.S. Lewis says it this way I had not noticed that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Man, isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Like my friend Byron said, there are many of us in church but not in Christ. You've not yet fallen in love with Jesus. And I don't say that in a way to berate you. I just say, pray that Jesus would give you a Jesus revelation so that you could see him for who he really is so that you can fall in love. Because when you fall in love, renovation goes to warp speed. You see Jesus differently. Evangelism is becoming easier and easier. And the idols, number three, the idols of your life are losing their power and appeal. Jesus said in Matthew 6 No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And a powerful little verse with which most of us are unfamiliar is found in Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He's saying that as you're renovated from the inside out, something happens in you. These these idols that used to tug on your heart, they lose their power. You know the, the the kind of clothes you wear to be noticed by everybody. They they don't. They I mean, you still do them, but it's for a different reason. You just want to you just want to dress nice. But it's not you're not motivated by what other people think of you all the time. You know the, the money that you want to make. You, you still want to make money. Nothing wrong. There's no sin in wanting to make money, but it's your motivation. It doesn't tug you and pull on you so much that you'll sacrifice the things of the kingdom to get more money. These idols that we have in our lives, they are psychological idols. It's the things that we think will give us ultimate meaning and significance. We say that we can't live without a wife or a husband or somebody to date or sex or a girlfriend or children or an earthly romance. These are things that don't have the tug. You still love them. You still pursue them to a degree, but they don't have the tug they used to have on you. I have a friend in New Zealand who walked away from God after 30 years because she wanted a child and never got one. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that she was using Jesus as a means to her end.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff
1: when you're being renovated, this this thing of worship and praise and magnifying and glorifying God becomes not only a priority in your life and a non-negotiable, it becomes the best part of your week. You long for it. You want it. It goes back to what I said before. The way you complete your joy is to express it. But if you're not joyful because you're not in love with Jesus, what desire will you have to express it?
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Me wanna taste and sing with every single breath I free I will bring this up You are my wonder you we wanted Today 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 with Jeff Fines